Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. In our final week of Outlasters, now it's our fourth week of this, uh, we've been dealing with this series, and if you're new with us today, we've been looking at how do you pass on a legacy to the next generation. So whether you're a mom or a grandma or an aunt or an uncle or a grandpa or a school teacher or you serve and thrive kids or um, maybe even you're a mentor at a local school, whatever your capacity, we want to help you understand how do you pass on your faith to the next generation. Because we believe the next generation is important at Thrive. I said last week, um, we don't just babysit up there and we just don't just do coloring back here. We believe that those kids out there and our students on Wednesdays and those kids up there are our leaders now today and they can impact the world. We have one of our, our, our young girls in the kids ministry, she got a ton of Thrive bracelets and loves to pass them out of the local school because it's hard to tell a middle schooler or elementary schooler, no, you can't press, pass those bracelets out, right? It's awesome to see kids engage in the mission of God. So today, if you will go ahead and turn to your copy of God's word to Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Yes, we are going Old Testament and we're doing some Deuteronomy. Let's read some Deuteronomy. Yeah, it's a book about love. I've always been wanting to say that because I never preached out of Deuteronomy, so now you got it. If you don't know that deaf leopard, then what I was saying there, then you need to YouTube it. So how do we pass on what we have to the next generation? We've looked financially, listened to Dave Ramsey and his daughter about how do you pass it on financially. Last week I told you about exposing your children and those you're in care of to the right environment. So today I want to talk to you about being intentional. Think about intentionality. We often put so much effort into the wedding ceremony and we're intentional about planning all the details, aren't we? Like... I do some weddings, and it's kind of ridiculous. I like simple weddings because, let me give you, if you're not married yet, let me give you a little hint. The more you have planned, the more it can go wrong. If the dove flies out of the wrong time or catches your hair, you're in trouble. If the unity candle falls over, it could light the stage on fire. But I've seen so many couples work hard and spend thousands of dollars on a wedding, but they're not intentional about planning for marriage. Think about a new baby. I just had a, had a baby, seven months old. And we got the room ready, got the pictures up, we got the scheme going, and we prepared for that. But many parents don't plan to be parents. They're excited about the baby showers and the birth, the birth and all that, but not about being a parent. Me, I had two books I read before I became a parent. And y'all can laugh if you want to, but it helped his daddy out. I was 12 hours with a seven-month-old yesterday by myself. Not a soul around. That, those books helped, I'm telling you. So we're intentional sometimes about maybe like getting in debt. Uh, now you may have got a credit card sent to your home, but many of us go online and we apply for it, we work really hard, then we go through the favorite stores and we rack up the credit card, right? And we're intentional about getting into debt, but we're not intentional about getting out of debt. So in life, I think there's many times that we're intentional in some of the wrong things. And even when it's giving to the next generation, do you know that we can actually give the wrong things to the next generation? It's it's actually, if you've been a parent more than, than, than seven months, then you probably know that, right? You can give the wrong thing to your children. Think about this, when giving hurts. We give them praise they don't deserve. Now, I know none of you do that, right? Because your children are awesome. Everything they do is worthy of your praise. But think about it. Have you ever seen American Idol? 
voice. Have you ever seen who's got talent? Have you ever seen the one who can't sing? Somebody's mama told them, you are good at singing. Woo, you got a voice. And they are terrible. Right? That, that happens. Uh, think about this here. We give them things they didn't earn. Things they didn't earn. When they turn two years old, they get a circus. <laughs> when they turn ten years old, they get the $500 smartphone with the unlimited plan. And when they're 16, they get a car that's nicer than the teacher's car in their class. Sometimes we give kids things that they don't really earn, uh, that, that they don't deserve. And then we also give them freedoms that they can't handle. Play any video game you want. It's cool. Oh, it's mature audience. And you've got eight-year-olds blowing people away on a video game. And then you're going and meeting with a parent and teacher conference wondering why they're so angry. Right? We give students and we give kids unlimited access to the internet. And there's all types of evils on the internet. There's sometimes we give them freedoms they can't handle. See, the truth of the matter is a young person will never stumble into intentionality. They'll, they'll, they'll never become righteous just by accident, right? They'll never become on fire for God just by accident. And that's why even in our kids' ministry, we have 42 values that we, we know with the kids. We have about, with some of you, it may be six months. but some of you, we've got six, seven years with those kids over there. And we have 42 values we're going to pump into them. And scriptures we're going to pump into them. So when they leave, they have values that form convictions and convictions that form habits and habits that form the lifestyle that they want. Right? That God desires. And so realize that they will never stumble into righteousness. We have have to be intentional. And look what Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says. And we're going to live in this passage today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Watch this in verse 7. This is the part many of you don't know. Impress them on your children. Impress them. That means make an imprint on your children of these things. Talk about them when you what? When you what? You don't just leave it to the church to do, but when you sit at home. Watch this here. When you walk along the road, maybe you don't do walks along the road when you drive in your car, right? This is like, this is thousands of years ago. So when you're in your car, maybe you're not walking on the road, hopefully. Um, and when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. That's what the rabbis did in that day and time. And write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you know what Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 is saying to the people of Israel thousands of years ago and what God was saying to them? Be intentional about developing your children. Be intentional about the next generation. Let it be on your lips. Let it be part of your life. Don't just, you know, as I said last week, come to church and leave and, and hopefully they got something, but make that a part of the conversation of daily life. If you've had a tough day, you could, as I said uh, last week, you could talk to your kid and say, I've had a really tough day and I asked Jesus to help me a whole lot. And they see that their mom or dad or grandma or guardian, they see that they were relying upon the strength of Jesus. And so uh, the, the, the goal here is to be intentional. As I said before, here at Thrive, uh, and, and I know many, many tons of great churches in this area. Tons of them. We are not the only church. Please hear me. There are some phenomenal churches in Richmond. I don't know what they do. 
but I know what we do here. And I know we work really hard at being intentional. Um, we don't want to give kids a, a coloring book and some crayons and give them a watered down story. We believe that, that our children have potential in them and we want to develop them and be intentional. I believe that you believe this. Your children have potential, don't they? No matter how old the knuckleheads are, they still got potential, right? You believe that. If you're a teacher and you're teaching in the local schools, you believe those children have potential, don't you? And that's why you're doing what you're doing, but you have to be intentional. And so what I want to do is this. I want to share with you three things to give the next generation. Three things we have to give them here as we finish out our Outlaster series. And we're going to look at uh, the scriptures we just looked at. But the first thing we have to give them is this. A community worth having. A community worth having. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, in Jewish times, it was community-based. Everything was community. Meaning that, that, that they didn't rely just upon the rabbinical schools or the temple to teach their kids, but they sat down with their kids. They were a community together. Even if you look in the New Testament, when the Jews began to get saved, community was so important. And one of the things we've got to expose our kids to and expose the next generation to is a community worth having. A community that will shape their life. As as I said to you a few weeks ago, wise people walk with what? Wise people. And fools walk with fools. You can tell when your kid gets in high school who they'll be in five years by who they hang out with. Their friends shape their lives. And I know that for a fact. My friends shaped my life. I was talking to a family member recently. He's had extreme troubles with with both of his kids. One's 20 um, at at home and just had a baby. Um, And then he has another one who's 18. And he's not really doing much at all. Kind of a not on the log type syndrome, I call it. And I was talking about that. And and both, one has terrible social life. Like, did he cut some friends off? The other one has no friends. And they both are suffering. And I asked my family member, I said, have you ever had them in a community of believers where they can be shaped? It's like, no, we just don't go to church. We don't be involved in youth ministry. We don't do any of that stuff. And they have suffered because they've not had a community that's helped shape their life. See, they need a solid family that will teach them their faith. And kids do need that. And I believe today we have some great families here that are trying that. But realize that it's more than just that. Uh, There was a study done in America um, by Kids at Hope. It's not a Christian organization, but it's a good organization nonetheless. And I partnered with them in Florida. And Kids at Hope had studied and found out that successful adults had several different relationships that shaped their life. Now, again, parental or guardian, if they're living with you, whatever the relationship is, that's the most important. Uh, They need sponsors around them. That could be a coach, a football, basketball, baseball coach, somebody. It could be a youth pastor. It could be a children's director. They need that person that's not family related that pours into them. But then they also need somebody that's a friend around them that helps them as well. And here's what Kids at Hope does. They try to help every kid in the local schools have those people in their life. 
They try to help every kid there have those people in their life. So they're trying to, to partner a child together. They're trying to train families, train mentors. And that's what I used to do, guys. I told you a few weeks ago, I used to go to the local school and I would spend two hours a week with the most troubled kids in the school. Now, um, they would give you one at a time. That's about all you could handle, right? And these kids were, I mean, man, they're, they're like nine years old and they are just troubled. Their parents are sorry. I mean, they're having to get them, put their self you know, together, go to school. They're up all hours of the night playing video games. They're not doing homework. And you're having to, to sit with these kids and you listen to their problems. You ask them how they're doing. You play some basketball with them. You're helping them with homework. I'd take two hours of my week just to go do that. Because, and the reason we did that mentoring program, we work with that because we believe that children need people across the board to help them. Um, you can probably remember somebody in your life that helped you, right? That was an influence that wasn't your parents. Somebody who poured into you. And so we had to make sure that our children are, are, are exposed to the right community. And here's why. We're not made for independence. And if you're, a, if you're a Christian, you cannot be independent and be a Christian. It's not just you and King Jesus. Do you know that, right? It's you and King Jesus and all King Jesus men and women together. We're the body of Christ. And so we have to value community. See, we live in a very independent nation where I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody. I'll come sit in that chair and listen and figure it out on my own. I don't need small groups. I don't need to get in serving teams. I don't need any of that stuff, man. I can, I can do it myself. Me and King Jesus are going to do this thing. Tell me how that's working for you. Because <laughs> we're made for community. I mean, think about this. In the, in, in the book of Genesis, um, when God created the heavens and the earth, he said, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. Let us, who's that holy trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. Think about this, Jesus had disciples. He wasn't just a lone ranger guy going around doing good works. He had a team of people with him that he poured into, that he developed, that he had community with. I'm, I mean, I, I want to find out what they talked about around the fire, right? I'm sure they had some downtime where Jesus wasn't telling parables. I just wonder what they talked about. I believe personally, and you can disagree, and you've been wrong before, but I believe Jesus, I believe Jesus probably was, was, was humorous as well because you don't want to follow people who aren't humorous, do you? Right? I just wonder. I don't know. I don't know. And, and I'll find out when, when I get to heaven. My, my grandfather told me, he said, Jesus had joy, but it doesn't mean he smiled. <laughs> you can have joy and never smile. So, okay, Papa. I can tell. Uh, the New Testament church, if you look in the book of Acts, they had small groups. They met in homes. They, they broke bread together. They took communion together. There was community uh, there. And we have to intentionally create a spiritual community for our children. See, uh, what I love about our kids going to Youthquake, and, and, then the, and, they'll, and they'll go to like Winter Jam or Fest, what those things are called. I haven't been a youth pastor so long, they changed the names, and now I'm out of, out of touch. But, but, but when, 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 when you go to those events like that, and you're a teenager, and you're sitting there with thousands of other teenagers, you realize you're not alone. You realize you're not the only one striving for purity if you're a teenager. You realize you're not the only one trying to live for God. You realize you're not the, you're not the only one trying to do things right. And that's why it's so good to get children and, and students exposed there. People are like, oh, you, you don't get drunk? We don't either. That's cool. I thought I was all alone this thing. Everybody in high school picks on me. Well, they pick on me too. Yeah. It strengthens you when you're around people um, of that community. And so realize that. Believe God created the world? Yeah, I do too. Wow, none of my teachers do. That's great. 
I'm not alone. Community matters. So who are the big four that are surrounding your child's life? Who are pouring into them? Who are the sponsors? Who's a... How's the family relationship? Who are their friends that they're hanging around? You need to be careful too, and you may get upset with me, but be careful sending your kids off to somebody else's house too. Somebody said amen, the rest of you said oh me, and some of you are dead silent. But be careful with that. Some of the worst traits I ever learned was at a friend's house, staying over there. And I learned some of the things I should have never learned and saw and heard things I should have never saw. So make sure they have a community worth having. Here's the second thing we need to give the next generation. It's a standard worth achieving. A standard worth achieving. And look at Deuteronomy 6, 5. It's a great standard for all of us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. With how much? That's the call for believers. You know, we sing the song, you know the old song, I Surrender All? The old hymn? But we in America kind of sing, I surrender some. Some to you I give, Lord Jesus. I mean, you know, but but there's a standard that as believers and followers of the Lord, we should surrender everything. We should love the Lord with all that we have within us. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're, you're spotless. But it means you love Jesus with everything in you. And that's the standard that we must set up for our children. See, in Israel's history, which we're reading from, from, from their Torah, which in, in Deuteronomy, their history was this. Those children pretty much memorized those first five books, which, which are the Torah. That's a lot, isn't it? Now, I don't mean word for word. I do not mean word for word. Do, hear me. <laughs> but part of their growing up and training as a little good Jewish boy or girl was learning those first five books of the Bible. They knew it. They knew the accounts. They knew the stories. They knew the scriptures. It was part of who they were. See, they had a standard worth achieving. Uh, today, what saddens me is that we are not calling our children and our students to a higher standard. We're content with stuffing them with animal crackers and coloring for a little bit and let them go home, right? Many times we dumb down the scriptures for students and kids. That's what I love about Alan and Emily. It's not snack time, a little bit of talk and play basketball the whole time. Man, those guys actually share the scriptures with them. I went there and taught those kids. Man, I was sharing on tithing with them. And, and, and don't, don't grab your wallets. I'm not teaching on tithing today. Um, but I taught the kids. And those kids got it, man. They asked questions. And, they were, and, and I, when I got them to, to share back the heart of what that means, they got it. I'm telling you, I love teaching students. I love youth ministry because you can shape them. See, some of y'all know way too much. I mean, you're like reading your Bible while I'm preaching because you're, I mean, you're already there. I can't, I can't, it's like, it's like water going over, you know, a, a stained porch. It just pours right off. But students and kids soak it up. And, and I, I encouraged one of our kids workers recently. He said, man, I don't feel like the kids are getting it. <laughs> I said, it's always like that. But you continue, I said, they are soaking in everything that you're saying to them and everything that you're doing with them. Continue to give them a standard worth achieving. See, um, do you realize that a hundred years ago, the word teenager did not exist? Uh, 1949, I got your attention finally. Uh, Time magazine introduced this term after the Great Depression in 1949. This term, uh, teenager. See, there were children and there were adults, right? If you talk to grandpa and grandma, they worked at 13 years old. They didn't sit around the house and watch cartoons and play video games and surf Facebook all day and Snapchat. (laughs) 
got your butt out and you worked. And many times they didn't even finish school. Why not? Help me, because they were working. They had to keep the, the family going, they had to keep the farm going, they had to keep things going. And after the Great Depression, you get this, this idea created of a teenager. I'm not saying don't call students teenagers. I'm not saying that. Please hear me. What I'm saying is what's happened is, is we have taken the standard out of these young people. Uh, we have created actually a category of adults called kidults. <laughs> kidults. <laughs> These are grown adults that act like children. Some of you women are like, yeah, I'm married to one. But you would never say that, would you, in church? Because you would need a marriage series right after this. <laughs> you got grown, I'm going to pick on men because, you know, I, I think women are much more mature and responsible than men. But many times men want to sit around their underwear and play video games or watch uh, TV um, with that. And many of them are adults playing Halo till 4 a.m., not working, are still like grown babies. But they're, they're out there. Have you ever met a adult before? And it's not your spouse, right? Okay. Okay, good. You've met one. If you've not met a adult, hang around long enough and you'll meet that. But do you know why they turn into that? Because there's not a standard worth achieving. There's no standard in their life. And listen, set a standard because it's rare that you'll ever get more than you ask for. Uh, my father, and I share stories about him all the time, he was a hero to me, but I hated him when I was a kid and a, and a teenager. I, when I say hate, I mean it's a strong word. I didn't like him a lot. I wasn't strong enough to beat him up, but I, I would never attempt it because he would have kicked my butt. But him and my mom made me work. I, you know, the, I clean the house, I do laundry, I, uh, I, I mow the grass, I plant flowers, I water flowers, I can transplant. I can do it all, man, and I do it at my house. Some, some of you women are like, yeah, you need to teach on that a little bit, right? Next series. <laughs> the next series is how do you clean properly? Um, I do, you, you know where I learned that from? Before I, got, before I got my driver's license, every day my mom had a chore list to do, and she was a neat freak. Our house never was dirty. And you know who had to take that responsibility on? I did. I learned how to dust and you actually have to pick the lamp up and dust under the lamp. And I never understood it because like mom, the only place there's not dust is where? But somehow she knew. And so in the mornings I had to water flowers. I had to make sure flowers were watered in the morning. I had to do the, 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 the grass or mow the, mow the, mow the yard you know, mid-morning if it got too hot. And then in the afternoon you cleaned and you did dishes and you, you folded things. You did, and, then the, and then in the evening you had to water the flowers again. Right? Now, I would get some breaks to watch some, you know, some cartoons or things like that. She wouldn't work me all day. But I had to work. When I, when, and, and I don't forget my dad, when I was in 11th grade, I wanted to take Art 3. Art 3, right? We all want to take Art 3. That's like, <laughs> all your friends are in Art 3. My dad said, no, you're not taking Art 3. You're taking trigonometry and AP calculus. Yeah. <laughs> And I was angry at my dad. You're taking computers. You just had computer classes when I was there. And you know what? I'm so thankful today that my dad set a standard for me. He set a standard for me. That work was important. And that you're going to make good grades. And, and education was important. He wasn't a believer. So he didn't give me Christian values. But he gave me values. He set a standard worth achieving. I want to encourage you. Set a standard for the next generation. Set a standard for them. Uh, as I said last week. And, and you heard from, from Dave Ramsey and his daughter. Don't give an allowance. Make them earn it. Because guess what? In the real world. Nobody gives you anything for free. Right? Nobody gives you anything for free. I mean, think about this with your children. You need to talk to them about sex. Talk to them about that. Yeah, I said that word in church because it's an epidemic. 
Don't just give them stuff not to get pregnant. Tell them about the, the standard Jesus. And why Jesus shares that. Why, why it's good for them. Share that with them. Um, don't let them just sit at home and play video games all the time. Limit that junk, man. I know they're wearing you out. I know they're driving you crazy. And that's a great babysitter. Don't let them drink 12 bottles of Mountain Dew all day. And then wonder why they don't sleep at night. And they're not healthy. I mean, set a standard for your children. See, when I met my wife, her mom had a standard for her. I used to drink Diet Mountain Dews all day. And they're worse than regular Mountain Dews. And when I met my wife, her family didn't do that stuff. They drank water and orange juice. (laughs) With dinner. But her mom set a standard for them. And I saw that. You know what happened? My wife rubbed off on me too. In the same way. Set a standard there for you. And here's the third and final thing we're going to give the next generation. It's a faith worth reproducing. A faith worth reproducing. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 7. Deuteronomy 6, 7. It shows us a faith worth reproducing. It says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road or your car. um, When you lie down and when you get up. Intentionally model for your children. And this is outlasters here, guys. Intentionally model for your children your faith. We talked about last week. I know you have the gift of amnesia, so I'm sharing it again. Intentionally model for your children an active faith. An active faith. Here's the deal, guys. This generation can see a fake faster than you can say it. They can see a fake faster than you can say it. So you can't live like the devil all week and then try to tell them to come to church and do the right things. Model for them the best that you know how. Share with them your struggles. Share with them how you're trying to live for Jesus. Share with them how it's tough sometimes. Share with them when you face something that week how the Lord has helped you with that. We must pass on to our children. The Bible is not some weird rule book that's irrelevant. But it's a living, active Word of God that can help them, that can strengthen them. And as they read it, the Holy Spirit of God will speak to them. That's what we have to model for our children. No matter what age they are. If you have children going through a tough time right now, they may be 28 years old. You can encourage them and say, son, daughter, I don't know what you're going through. I do know this. The Lord speaks to me through his word. When I get on my knees in prayer, he answers. And he wants to meet you where you're at. And and they will respond to that. They may not like it when you say it, but you have great impact on your children. If you want them to pray, guess what you have to do, church? Pray. If you want them to read the Bible, what do you have to do? You want to see them worship. Worship. You want to see them serving. Serve. You want to see them be generous. Uh, Whatever you want to see them do, you've got to do it yourself. And they've got to see you do it. And when they see you do it, they will respond. Model the right things. See, I close here with this. The church did change my life. I was so far from God. I shared my story um, two weeks ago on a Wednesday night. We're doing the Not Normal series. And it, was, it was my turn up. And I shared my story about how far from God I was. And I really, I got saved at a really good church, man. This, and the thing about this church was this. There was men that served God. Now, women, man, it's awesome. Most churches, women are like the cornerstone. And thank God for that, man. Right? Thank God for the prayer warriors and the, and the mamas of the church for so many years. But it's rare to see men that are active in their faith. And at this church, men were active. 
When I would need prayer, men would pray for me. I would see men kneel down and worship God. I would see men that would lead and men that would teach and men that would help with children. And, and, and they modeled for me what it looked like to be a Christian. They poured in to me. They set a standard for me. They helped me. They modeled for me what a real faith was. I talked with a deacon at a, at a church, a really large church. And he was so proud that he served for, as a deacon for many years. And his daughter wasn't following Jesus. And my wife and I know this girl. And I was like, you know, I'm so glad that my wife knows her and blah, blah. Because, you know, man, man, maybe she can share, share Jesus with her and help her. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, well, she grew up in church. She grew up in the church. She went to Sunday school. I said, well, maybe you know, my wife can help her understand what a real relationship with Jesus is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, she knows all about the church. Friends, there's a big difference with a family that carries you to church and a family that models real faith. And that's where this deacon of this church is missing it. His daughter doesn't need to know church or even get involved in church. She needs to meet Jesus. And I want you this week, if you have family, if you have friends, whatever it is, maybe you need to have that conversation with them. Maybe you need to share that with them. And then some of you are going to need to sit down with your family this week. And you're going to need to share with them that, friends, we're going to be a household that loves Jesus. Model for them. Pass on. Do you have a faith worth reproducing? Do those around you know it? Uh, one of the biggest needs in our church always is our next generation ministries. Right now, we have huge needs. And I'm going to say needs. I never say this. We have huge needs in our nursery, in our children, in our student ministries for those who will show up and help. Well, I don't know what to do. Man, we will help you. Just be a helper if you want to. We have a need because at Thrive, we want to be intentional. And so maybe you don't have children. Maybe you don't have a family yet. Maybe your family is gone and you're glad. You're like, I got rid of them. I'm not going back into it again, right? But the Lord wants to use us to be intentional in passing our faith on to the next generation. Amen? And my prayer for you is this. I love you guys and I pray for you weekly. My prayer is that you'll pass on a real faith to your children. That they will outlast you with their faith. And one day they'll tell stories about the faith you passed down to them. If you will stand to your feet this morning.